Welcome to Wholehearted Coaching, the podcast. If you're looking for more purpose, more passion, more joy in your life, then you have come to the right place. I am your host, coach and life alchemist, Sharin Eskandani, and I have worked with thousands of people showing them how to create their dream lives while also living their dream lives. This podcast is where mindset, mindfulness, and manifestation meet. Together, we're going to release limiting beliefs, put your dreams into motion, all while prioritizing your ease, rest, and joy. Let's do this, love. Hi, love. Welcome to Wholehearted Coaching, the podcast. This is where we take a deeper dive into my Mindset Monday post, which you can read on Instagram at Wholehearted Coaching. Or if you want to go even deeper into this week's episode and get my free weekly journal prompts, sign up for my email list and you'll be able to explore the topics we're talking about in this episode even further. You can do that in the show notes or by heading to my website, wholehearted-coaching.com. And if you're interested in working with me, whether that's one-on-one in one of my group programs or one of my transformational courses, you can head to my website, wholehearted-coaching.com slash offerings to find out more. And of course, you can also head to the show notes and all of this information will be waiting for you there. All right, love, welcome to this week's episode. So today's conversation is such a special one. And I feel like I say that for every episode, but this one was a literal dream come true for me. I got to interview one of my idols, someone I look up to, Layla Saad. This conversation that we have together is such an important one. This is an extra long episode, and I'm telling you, you need to listen to every minute of it. Layla's story, the things that Layla shares in this episode are so insightful. They are so universal. Layla Saad, if you do not know her, I will give you her bio in a little bit, but she is a New York Times bestseller. She is light. She is wisdom. She is inspiration. And in this conversation that we have together, I mean, when I was talking to her, I was like, oh my God, Layla's just like one of us. You know, like in People Magazine, when they're like celebrities, they're just like us. Y'all, Layla, someone who I, from the outside, I truly think, wow, this person has it all together. They've always had it all together. They know exactly what they are doing in this conversation. Layla lets us know that, nope, I felt lost. I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. Y'all, this episode is such an incredible one. I mean, they all have been. But this one, I think, is especially special for me because I never thought that I would be able to have a conversation with Layla Saad, with someone like Layla Saad. I literally manifested this. I remember years ago seeing Layla, following Layla on social media, seeing her in-person events in New York. And I said to myself, you know what? You are going to be colleagues or friends with this person. And honestly, every person that I have interviewed in this Courageous Conversation series, I manifested. I manifested a relationship of some sort with them. And all of them have been such a dream come true. But this one, because Layla is such a damn big deal, I just, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it when she said yes to recording this interview. 
While this is technically our last guest for our Courageous Conversation series, there will be another episode next week. And that's going to be our last episode. And that's going to be a solo episode where I am sharing my Courageous Conversation, where I'll be talking about my story and how I got here. But for now, I have Layla Saad for you. Layla Saad is the founder and CEO of Become a Good Ancestor, a learning destination that empowers us with the tools and resources we need to heal ourselves, our relationships, and the world from personal and systemic oppression. She is also a New York Times and Sunday Times bestselling author, anti-racism educator, international speaker, and podcast host on the topics of race, identity, leadership, personal transformation, and social change. She has been featured in Elle, Paper, BBC, PBS, Glamour, Marie Claire, Cosmopolitan, I could go on and on and on. And we now have her on our podcast, on this podcast. What I love about this conversation with Layla is that we talk about how our dreams have a life of their own, how our dreams evolve just as we evolve, how we can grow out of dreams, how we sometimes need to let go of dreams so that we can allow other dreams to take root and to grow. Layla is so candid and honest, and she shares so much insight and wisdom in this episode. So I hope you love it as much as I do. Okay, everyone. So I am totally fangirling because our guest for this week's episode is someone who I just admire and love and is such an inspiration to me, not just in the the work that she does, which I mean, yes, that in and of itself is absolutely inspiring, but who she is as a human being, how she moves in the world and how she so candidly shares her lessons with us. And I'm so thrilled that you're going to get to hear her and about her life and about her story. I know a little bit of it, Um, because I've seen her, I've gone to her like in-person events in New York. So I'm just so thrilled for you all to to get to know her. Layla, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And you, yes, you just reminded me that you were one of those like smiling faces when I was doing events in New York. And I was like, I know you from the internet. Thank you for coming to see me. (laughs) So I've been starting this series out with how I know the person. And so Layla and I, don't really personally know one another, but I was a huge, I am um, a huge fan of Leila's work and her podcast and her writing. And she came to New York twice to be mm. interviewed by actually a colleague and friend of mine. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to be there. I think I was in the front row, if not the, maybe the second row. You, I think you were in the front row. Yes. Cause I was like, I kept looking to you. Cause I was like, that's my happy crew there. <laughs> it was me and my good friend, Chrissy. And you just blew me away because I knew you as the person who wrote me and white supremacy mm-hmm. and getting to know you actually as a human being, right? Because I think sometimes when you do that work about anti-racism, like you become the person who right. just does that work, but getting to hear your story and the three dimensions of Layla, I was like, holy crap, this is an incredible human being. And so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, Layla, I, I I just have to say it again. I'm like getting goosebumps because this for ah! me, my audience knows like I, I'm just so honest with them when I'm like cheesing about something and like 
But this is for me a manifestation, honestly and truly. Mm. I have actually a bunch of friends in my life, colleagues in my life that I remember seeing them on the internet and saying, I'm going to be part of their lives somehow, or yeah. I, I can, I can DM them. I remember I DM'd you a couple months ago because you've had a little bit of a pivot in the work that you do. And I was so excited about that pivot. We're going to talk about yes. it. And I was like, I'm just going to ask Layla if we can have a conversation about this. And I can't tell you how scary it felt to send sense <laughs> on that, wow. on that DM. Cause I was like, this is Layla. And, and we had had conversations obviously yeah, on, yeah. on Instagram, but you replied back with, yeah, of course. I mean, I it was such that. an easy yes. Like it was, <laughs> it was such an easy yes. And you know this. So uh, I always tell you, I pronounce your name like the Arabic way. I'm like, I don't know how other people pronounce your name. I call you Shireen. Yes. And so I'm always like, I know her, like I know her, you know what I mean? But it was such an easy yes. And I really want to say thank you for reaching out to ask me to talk about it. Because when I did make that pivot, for many people, it was inspiring, but for many people, it was very triggering and very offensive, I guess, yeah, yeah. Um, because I said, I'm not just this thing that, you know, you have come to know me as, or that I have built up or that you want me to stay as, but I'm really stretching and exploring different sides of myself. And I think you were the only person who reached out and said, I want to have a conversation about this. And that meant a lot to me. I was so excited. We're going to talk about that pivot, but you know, we're having these conversations about what courage looks like mm. you to me, especially from the outside, you really embody that. I mean, first in the work that kind of brought you to this global platform, which we'll get into, but this big ass pivot, which mm. you could have just kept doing the same thing and made tons of money and had lots of recognition. Yeah. And I'm, I can't wait to get into that part of the story because I think a lot of the beautiful um, magic and juiciness of the story and, and who you are is going to come alive in that decision. So Layla, I could, just, <laughs> I could spend the entire hour just telling you how much I love you. Um, I don't think I the audience. <laughs> Do you know, and I, and I will say, I've just had the opportunity to interview someone that I fangirl over. And I was really trying to keep it cool. Like I wanted her to know how much she meant to me, but also I was like, I really want to knock this interview out the park. So I feel you because I just went through this. <laughs> well, I, I am just going to let the cheesiness and the fangirliness and, just let it flow. <laughs> and, and we'll get into the, you know, the, the serious conversation, but yeah, so Layla, I've been starting this series out with, I want to know about young Layla, because I mm. think a lot of what we believe is possible for us or not possible for us. A lot of our beliefs, whether they're positive or maybe um, a little bit more limiting come from what we experience when we're younger. Right. Yeah. And so I would love if you could kind of give us a brief glimpse into what younger Layla, little Layla experienced and what she saw. Yeah. I feel like I lived two dimensions of my life and you probably recognize this as a third culture kid yourself. I had the life that we had at home where my parents were immigrants to the UK from East Africa. So I'm, I was first generation British, but in our house, we very much were about our culture and my, it was primarily my mom who raised us because my dad worked at sea. So he would be away for months at a time and then come home for months at a time. So our primary parent was our mother. She spoke to us both in Swahili and English. She taught us everything that we could know about Islam, our religion. 
She cooked, you know, her East African cultural foods, but also like, you know, fish fingers and chips and, you know, potato waffles and all of those other things. She's the person who I remember would always take me to the library because I've always been a reader, you know, and would buy me games and would play with me. But it was like we had that life where who I am and what my roots are were the norm. And then you had the rest of the world, like when we go to school or when we're out in the world. And so I went to, for most of my schooling up until when we moved to Doha, I went to Catholic schools that were predominantly white. So I was the only kid of color oftentimes in my class or one of two. Mm. Actually, one of my closest friends is a friend that I've had since nursery. We were both in nursery together. We got to see each other at the end of last year. We hadn't seen each other for a really long time, but she was Jordanian, Palestinian. I was East African, Omani. We're so with these two little Muslim girls, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's like Roman Catholic school, Wow, you know, and we were, we were so close and our mothers were close because they were drawn to each other because of religion and culture and all of that. But it was like, I was living two different worlds and both of my parents, they both have excellence as a core value. Mm. And they have this value of like, we want you to be leaders and we want you to be the best of what you do. We want you to work super hard. And it wasn't even about just because we know that you have to work twice as hard to succeed in this world. Like they understood that and they talked to us about that. But really it was that wherever you go in the world, we want you to show up as these excellent representatives of your character and what you stand for and your intelligence and all of those things. And so there were never really any limitations. That being said, there were limitations on don't do art, don't do those kind of things, do like the, you know, the, the more hardcore academic subjects, but they, they really wanted us to be the best. And then I feel like growing up, I've always loved studying. So I always exceeded and excelled, but I did have this niggling feeling always of like, I don't even know how to like name it, you know, Mm. because I never experienced direct overt racism, but it was more a sense of not belonging and having to prove that I could be there, that I did belong. Mm. And that if there was a misstep or if I didn't show up as the best, that the consequence felt so great. Mm. Right. So it's like this double, this double consciousness, right? So I think growing up that became more and more a part of how I saw myself because I was spending more time in the world, less time at home. And more of what was happening at school and in the world was impacting me. And the less representation I saw of myself, the less I felt like my whole self could be accepted, the more I was pivoting internally without even realizing it as so many of us do. Mm. So it always felt like this internal struggle, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's how I think about my childhood. Really. I really credit my parents for sewing into my siblings and I, this like core belief of like, there is nowhere in the world that you don't deserve to belong. Wow. And never think of yourself as lesser than ever. That's incredible. And, and hearing a little bit about your family, you all kind of really embody that so beautifully. There's two questions I want to ask, but the first one I want to ask is for you, what were some of those manifestations of 
that sense of being marginalized? You know, what were the coping mechanisms or the mechanisms that you adapted or adopted to kind of navigate that? Oof, perfectionism, big Mm -hmm. time, wholeheartedly, you know, what I see show up still, and I have to really consciously override it, is the inability to ask for help or support Mm -hmm. or believe that asking for help or needing it means there's something wrong with me and I'm not, like I said, it's a conscious thing. So I have to soothe myself and talk to myself about it. But it's like this belief of like, if you got help to get there, then it doesn't count. Yeah. And it's so interesting right now as I'm building this business where all I have is support and it Mm -hmm. feels so, um, it feels so good for my nervous system to be supported and to continue to lean into it. But it's a conscious choice, not an automatic setting. I yeah. understand. And it's, it's interesting. Cause I, you had a recent post a couple of months ago where you literally named all the people who are supporting on your team. And now hearing this, I'm like, Oh wow. Like just how big a thing that is for you to do it's to huge. post. Right. And, and to have that support around you as you build it is, this. Music. It is huge. And I see it in myself. I see it in my close friends, many of whom mm-hmm. are black women, you know, we really work very, very hard. And we also work to make it look like it isn't hard. Right. Effortless. Right. Right. Like she, how does <laughs> she do it Meanwhile, we are like just barely hanging on by a thread. Right. And I'm like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it like this. Yeah. 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 I love that. And so, you know, I feel like sometimes when we're in our late teens, early twenties, we kind of create mm. the plan. Like this is going to yeah. be the plan. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be married by this time. I'm going to, whatever that is. Did you have that at all for yourself? Yeah. I mean, I wanted to be Ali McBeal. So. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I haven't heard that name in a while, but I think we all did at some point. Yes. Yes. So I really wanted to be Ali McBeal. So I had a, one of my uncles was working in a law firm and he would tell me I'm a lawyer. Come to find out later. He was a paralegal. He like did a bunch of other jobs as well, but I so looked up to him and I knew that was one of those careers that my parents were like, this is a very respected career, right? Lawyer, doctor, engineer, right? Mm -hmm. My mom is still sad that none of her kids became a doctor. Okay. So (laughs) a New York Times bestselling author. Yeah. She's like, maybe one of my grandchildren will finally take up this mantle, you know, but I wanted to be him because I looked up to him. I knew that this was one of those careers that if I became that, then I would be respected, loved. It's the dream right? Mm -hmm. Of the the place that we're trying to get to emotionally. Um, So I started my degree in law and within the first semester, I was like, mom, I hate it. I hate it so much. Wow. And she's so funny, my mom. So I was like, mom, it's so dry. And she was like, you need to make it wet then. Make it wet. And I'm like... (laughs) Wow. It's the wow. blackest mom thing that she could say. Cause she wasn't having any of it. She right. was like, you got to figure it out. Right. You started this, chosen. you're finishing it. You're finishing it. And at the time I was doing in the first year, you could do like a major and then you could do a minor. So I was doing politics as a minor and I found that much more interesting, mm. but it was only for the first year. So at, when I went into the second year, it was now fully law. And in that first year of university, Uh, That was my first time living away from home. I'd also moved back from Qatar back to the UK, but I was by myself. Mm. And so it was also the first time 
being alone as I was, you know, I'm the first child, mm-hmm. only daughter, right? Yeah, <laughs> Immigrant yeah. family. There were a lot of rules and regulations, right? Yeah. And now I'm suddenly by myself. I have a lot of freedom, but I also don't know who the hell I am. Right. I'd only been away from the UK for three years. So we moved from the UK to Qatar when I was 15. And then I moved back when I was 18. Wow. I'd only been away for three years, but it was basically a lifetime. So much happens at that age. Yes. And when I came back, because I came back with a different accent, you know, I didn't know the people there. Everyone assumed I was American. So they oh, didn't wow. think I was British. It was so weird. Wow. <laughs> they didn't think I was British. And they also were like, we don't get what you are. Wow. You know, but I did have a core group of friends and that was, it was all good, but I began to very quickly suffer from anxiety and generalized like depression and anxiety. I didn't have the wording for it until probably towards the end of my degree. I just felt broken. I just felt so broken. So I was struggling with panic attacks just a sense of dread and anxiety all the time. I was very depressed. So I wasn't showing up for my classes. I wasn't being that A star student that I'd always been. Wow. And so whatever plan that I'd had for myself to become Ali McBeal, like that wasn't happening. Wow. And it wasn't until my third year, so my final year of law, that I was like, I need to figure this out because I am slipping away. Mm. And my best friend at the time, he was really into Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I'm going to give you these CDs and they're going to help you. And I start listening to these CDs. And it was like, that was my first introduction into the personal growth, personal development world. And there's a lot to be said about Tony Robbins. There's a lot to be said about the personal growth and self-development world. But I will tell you at that time, that saved my life. Yeah. yeah. Hands down. Mm-hmm. Saved my life. And I began to one step at a time, reclaim my energy and reclaim my mind and reclaim my body. And there were things that I would do, like I would make myself go for a walk every day and I would put on happy music and try and change the way that I feel. Just all of these different habits that I was trying to change and my mindset that I was trying to change. That By the time I graduated, I graduated okay. I wish I would have done better, but it's over and it's past, right? But I was now, I felt better, yeah. you know, but I, it was clear I wasn't going to become a lawyer Yeah. and I didn't want to be Shreen, but I really was like, what do I want? Mm-hmm. And I remember trying to like hash it out with myself. And the only thing that I could be really clear on was, well, there was two things. One, I knew that I wanted to do something that would help other people in some way. Like I wanted to be of service in some way and help people and somehow make their lives better, make the world a better place. We didn't have the languaging of coaching back then, right? So this is 2005, Yeah, right? We don't have that languaging or any of that. And then the other thing was that I was just really clear that all of the suffering that I'd been through in those years of anxiety, depression, panic attacks, I truly believe that I could make it mean something. Mm -hmm. I didn't want it just that I had suffered and there was no point to it. Right. So whatever I'd learned, whatever I'd gotten out of it, I wanted to be able to pass it forward. Mm. And, you know, when I finished my degree, I actually started working in corporate tax, which is random. I was looking for, I was looking for a job basically. And that was the job that landed in my lap. But after about five years, after I got married, 
and by then we had the languaging of coaching. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to study life coaching and yeah. that's, that's what I'm going to do. And that's how I got started on this trajectory of like transformational work and coaching work and being of service to the world in some way. But none of like what the plan was, which was yeah. to be a lawyer. I still credit that because I, I learned so much and I'm like, I bring that into my business today. Yes. Yeah. Ah, there's so much here. I really want to highlight with your story, Leila, but that this last piece, which is, I, I believe it so deeply too, that there's no wrong decisions that everything is informing the thing. And oftentimes we don't know what the thing is because the no. dream is always evolving and changing. As right. We are, right. Right. And I, like you too, I think I had built an identity around being perfect and, Mm. you know, the best. And then when you find yourself in an environment in which you can't do that, it all starts crumbling. You don't have any of the actual, you realize you don't have any tools to actually be your own person. And so you don't know that at the time, right? So you go through that huge dark storm, right? And then, then all of a sudden, like someone like a Tony Robbins, or for me, it was like Abraham Hicks, which are people who I can now say, wow, this is problematic and this and that and the other, but they actually gave me those tools of self-reflection or growth where I could be my own person. And and that's kind of what I hear in your story, which is finding those, those things, because, you know, you, you weren't afforded that ability. And I don't know if anyone truly is, but I think as a, as a third culture kid, especially as a child who really feels so marginalized and and doesn't belong, you really are just creating an identity based on other people and what you think you're supposed to be. Yeah. 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 And I remember so much feeling like, cause I had two groups of friends really in, in university. I had like my Brown friends, like my Muslim friends. Yeah. And then I had my white friends. Mm-hmm. And when I was with my Brown friends, I felt like I really belonged. They were Muslim. They were Brown. Although there was like the African, Afro-Caribbean society, which was, I was, I was also a part of, but nobody was really like me, like the East African, Middle Eastern, like you're different, you know, yeah. but at least I was like, I feel like I belong here. When I was with my white friends, I always felt like it's really interesting because when I think about it, I'm like, I was the only black one. So of course they would have remembered me. But Mm. each time I hung out with like them and their friends, I always felt like their friends didn't remember who I was. And it's because I felt invisible. (laughs) And I look back now and I'm like, how would they not know that you were black? You know what I mean? How would they not know? But I felt so like nothing Mm. in those spaces that I felt like, maybe I need to remind them what my name is, or maybe they don't remember we hung out last time or, you know, I I don't know. And I look back now and I'm like, oh, like it's that thing of feeling both hyper visible and invisible at the same time. Oh, we need a word for that. Maybe they have it in German or something. Oh, maybe. It's like, I don't, I know exactly what you mean of feeling invisible and also like you sticking out like a sore thumb at the same time. Oh my gosh. So. Also, another thing I think is so important for people to recognize about your story is, so you have this, this moment of like a reclamation of self and then sitting with the question of, okay, well, what do I want to do? Yeah. And then spending five years doing, uh, doing, tax. that, doing taxes, <laughs> whatever. But like, but I think this is important for people to really hear about our stories, which is yeah. like, you didn't just become this person is a New York times, best no. author, right. It's like, no. you sat with the question, you allowed it to bloom and blossom yeah. on its own timeline. And yeah. Shireen, even after that, I mean, I still did a whole bunch of other things until I find it. I love took, this. You know what I mean? Like I went I from, love this. I went from tax to studying coaching, doing some coaching, 
then working as a corporate trainer, teaching soft, soft skills in companies, uh-huh. right? Right. Then studying graphic design and realizing, no, I don't want to do graphic design. Then studying and certifying as a health coach, doing some health coaching, realizing it's not this either. Then deciding I want to go back into a job and working part-time at a nonprofit wow. in marketing. And then at just before my 30th birthday, coming into work one day, like this was a pivotal moment for me. I came into uh-huh. work and I used to come into work early because I'm an introvert and I didn't want to talk to people at the beginning of the day. <laughs> So I would come in early so I could have a moment to myself. Yeah. And I sat down at my desk, like plugged in my laptop. And I, it was like I floated out of my body and looked down at myself. Right. And it was like I had this moment of seeing the ridiculousness of me sitting in this chair at this job in this life that I didn't even want. Mm. And working so hard, like I was working so hard and I was so stressed out. And I was like, I don't even want this job. This is not even the career trajectory trajectory I'm supposed to be on. Like those dreams that my parents had sewed into us of like, you will go out into the world and be something and do something great. Mm. This isn't it. Like you working part-time at a job that you barely, you know, this isn't it. And now yeah. you're almost 30, 10 years just passed by like nothing. Right. Where are you going to be when you're 40? If you don't make a change right now, this is your life now. And it only gets worse. It won't get better. You have to actually intervene and do something different. And I remember just laughing out loud because the whole scenario seemed so ridiculous to me that I was sitting in this chair in this job. Mm. And so I made like a promise to myself in that moment that when the right time comes and I'll know when it's right, I will quit this job and I will commit full time to being at the time a solopreneur. Mm. And I won't give up. I won't start and stop. I will do everything it takes. I will take every course. I will put everything into it. I'll do it, whatever it takes to build it because that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Wow. And then a few months later, I got pregnant (laughs) with my second child. And I said, it's not the right moment yet, but now I, now I have a timeline. As soon as I have this baby, I'm done. Wow. And I had the baby. And then two weeks later, I had hired a website designer to help me build my first website. Wow. Yeah. Wow, Leila. Yes. <laughs> wow. That is It was a, it was incredible. And I I spent so many years just thinking you are a jack of all trades, you don't know what you're doing, you you know, you're so smart but you're wasting it. I was one of those kids that was gifted. Uh-huh. So, you know, it just felt like what happened to me and then as soon as I made that commitment, I was like I am in it for the long haul. Wow. Okay. I just, I know this is resonating with someone. Like if someone like Leila can say, I had a moment in my life where I thought, you don't know what you're doing. You're just like, you know, you go from this thing to the next thing. Yeah. You're flaky. You're yeah. And okay. This is like blowing my (laughs) mind too. Um, I I want like, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much I want to ask, but you know, all those like little decisions you made, like graphic Mm. design, health coaching certification, what do you think was going on there for you? Like, did you know kind of maybe in the bottom of your heart, you wanted to do the coaching or the solopreneur, or were you really genuinely interested in those things? Or were they something else when you look back on that time and who you were and how you were thinking? I think a part of it was that I felt like when I had chosen to do law, that that was, that had been the wrong choice. Mm. And that if I had, and I have the 
I've greater language for it now to understand what I was really feeling, but feeling that because of how I grew up, that there were things that hadn't been options to me, that maybe if they had been options that I would have found something that actually I wouldn't be bouncing around in, I would be Mm -hmm. really committed to. So I was searching for that thing Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. I just hadn't had experience with. So that was the graphic design part of like, you know, I know I loved art when I was younger. I am creative, but I would never have that opportunity. Maybe this is the thing. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't the thing, right? But it was like, I was searching, I was searching. And I was also, I think we live in a world where you have to be one thing. Yeah. And so I was trying to find what my one thing is. And when I look back now, I'm like, wow, each one of those choices, everything I did comes into the work that I do. Like the graphic design piece. I'm jealous you have a graphic design back. I'm like, oh, I should have done that. (laughs) And even just like having an eye for it, right? Like when you hire someone and being able to direct them, right? Or the coaching pieces, like in the end, when I finally gave up coaching and said, I'm not doing this anymore. I had to recognize that what it was for me was that working one-on-one is not where I shine, that there are people who work one-on-one and they are masters at that and they love it. For me, I found it incredibly draining. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I had to be honest with myself at some point and be like, this isn't it. I know you think this is it, but it's not it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So when you started the website, the solopreneur, was that for your coaching? It was one-on-one. Yeah. So it was the one-on-one coaching. And I did that up until I think I stopped coaching eventually in 20. So I started that in 2014 and I stopped coaching in 2016. 16, mm-hmm. I want to say. So I did it for two years Wow! and I was good at it, but I wasn't masterful at it. And that's what I was searching for. Mm. It was more of a, you know, that book, the great, the big leap yes. by Gay yeah. Hendricks, yeah. Yeah, where they yeah. talk about like the zone. Yeah. It was my, like the average one. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't my zone of genius yeah. at yeah. all. The zone of genius for me was, was writing. That's my number one. And actually I wouldn't even say it's writing. It's actually, I would say it's communication as a whole. You're very good at communicating. However you do that. Yeah. And when you say that to me, I know that that's true deep down in my soul. Mm. There's no part of me that's like, oh no, Shireen, you don't know. You know, (laughs) I'm like, no, that is actually my God given (laughs) skill, right? Coaching wasn't it but this is it. But it took me a while to find that. I think that is life. Like it takes a while to find it and to really, to really see what's natural within you. Right. I think, I think that's the truth. I think that's the truth, but I think that's not the thing that society tells us. Right. Yeah. And especially when you have people like my husband, for example, who knew he wanted to work in IT, did his whole degree in IT, loved IT, has worked in IT since forever and is just doesn't want to do anything else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, what is your life like? How do you live? You know what I mean? (laughs) Since that we've been married 14 years, I've done a million and one different careers. And he's just been in IT, just steadily working there. And I'm like, that's so interesting because I could never. I I could never. No, I must constantly be exploring different things. And that's just me, it's who I am, you know. I wonder as you were going from all these iterations. Because I think you and I are very similar that we're very close to our families and it's not so much that it's judgment for our families, but I will share these with my family. And yeah. what was that like kind of being like, oh, now I'm going to try this and now I'm going <laughs> to, how was that received? 
Well, um, my husband, so my husband tells me <laughs> that, uh, my parents pulled him aside a couple of times and we're like, we're really worried about her. <laughs> and they yeah. never expressed it to you. No Not so many words. Okay. No, wow. they never said it to me. Wow. They expressed it to him Wow. and they were like, she will listen to you. And he was just like, you don't know. She knows what she's doing and I trust her wow. and you will see, and she will find her way. Um, and she will figure this out. So he was like, he's my ride or die because he it. was defending. He told me years later, like, I didn't even wow. know it was happening at the time. Yeah. Wow. That makes him a real ride or die. Cause I think some he's a real ride or die. Like yes. that would maybe throw you off or whatever, yes. but he just, wow. It was like, just let her figure it out. She will figure it out when we got married. And that's when I started coaching and he was like, I don't think you're supposed to be a coach. I think, I think you're a writer. And I was like, mm. what are you talking about? writers have done like English degrees and writing residencies and all of that. And I'm here in this corporate tax job that I hate. Like, I don't know what you're talking about, but he always knew. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you, in 2016, you're like, the coaching isn't it. Mm. Tell me what happens next. So I'd switched from a one-on-one model of coaching to a group model of like, I'll do a group program. Maybe that will be easier. It's also, it also business-wise makes more sense. Mm -hmm. It's, it's harder to scale and make more money one-on-one. And then the U S presidential elections happen Mm -hmm. and the women that I am coaching and in community with are predominantly North American. Mm -hmm. And so we're having new types of conversations that I've never seen really before in that space of like Mm. personal growth and spirituality around not just feminism, because that does show up really strongly, but intersectional feminism, black feminism, the failures of white people and the ways that white women cause harm to women of color and white supremacy, racism, anti-racism and all of that. And I'm like, Ooh, what is happening here? Because in my groups, I've never uh, like knowingly catered to white women. I wasn't like, I want to build a a space in which all white women are my, uh, you know, my clients. Right, right. But that's what was happening. And I couldn't Mm -hmm. figure it out. I was like, where are the black women? Where are the women of color? And I had up until that point really hadn't wrestled with what it had meant to be a black woman. Mm -hmm in white spaces and the impact of racism and really the languaging of white supremacy. So it was taking me on my own journey of reading and learning and starting to understand my lifelong experiences in an entirely different way Mm. and beginning to understand a lot of the insecurity and inferiority that I'd felt for most of my life. This stuff Mm. was a lot to do with it. Right. And so slowly, slowly I started, again, I was reading, I was learning, I was absorbing. I was also looking at the ways in which my business, like how am I doing things which are contributing to, you know, at first it was things around like, what do we mean when we say a woman, right? Mm -hmm. Because I I was a women's empowerment coach or whatever. And I'm like, what does that mean? Right. Yeah. And then it was, why are not more Black women, women of color in this space? And mm-hmm. what is my business doing that's contributing to this? But then really the tipping point for me came in 2017 when the Unite the Right rally happened. And by that point, I'd gotten a bit more 
I was like, okay, I'm on my journey and I un- I'm understanding and I'm really angry actually, because <laughs> I think that's the first stage yeah. of that awakening is like, yeah. you're pissed off now because everything you've been told about yourself and the world is a lie. Yeah. And you realize you're living in a different world to the world you thought you were living in. But when that rally happened, I was like, God was just like, you need to sit and you need to write something to your audience at the time, very small. Mm. Because what I was seeing was like the same people who would love to learn from Tony Robbins and Abraham Hicks. Right. And we're talking about changing the world and we're using yoga and other Asian and indigenous practices. We're also silent about any change making as it related to social justice, especially racism. Right. Feminism, no, we were all about burn the patriarchy or whatever it was. Yes. But the white part, like the supremacy part, no. Mm. So I wrote an article at the time and it was called, I need to talk to spiritual white women about white supremacy. And, you know, this is a, a podcast about courage. That was a hugely scary thing for me. And I think mm. one of my first moments of like real courage, because I was writing something in 2017, yeah. only a few years ago, we didn't have the languaging that we have no. today around this. And we didn't have the comfortability with having the conversations around anti-racism and white supremacy as we have today. And I was writing to spiritual white women, a group that is supposed to be untouched. Right. Don't hold that group of people accountable to anything. Don't insinuate that they are anything less than perfect. Mm. And I was saying this thing called white supremacy, which at the time people hear that word and they're thinking Nazis, neo-Nazis, KKK. I'm saying this thing over here is related to you all over here. Wow. And it just blew up all over the internet. It It wasn't my first time of writing something that had gone viral. I'd written something in 20... 16 or 15, I think that had gone viral and it was something challenging the coaching industry itself, Mm. nothing to do with race or anything like that. It just practices that I saw in the business coaching industry that I felt were very predatory Mm -hmm. and, um, inauthentic, Mm -hmm. but writing this where I was like, these are my experiences as a black woman. And this is how I think, and this is how I feel. And this is what I think needs to happen. was so scary. And I, (laughs) I remember thinking, I'm probably going to lose a lot of um, subscribers. I had 400 subscribers at the time. I was like, I'm probably going to lose a lot of subscribers, but I really feel like I need to say this. Wow. I really feel like I need to write it. And the opposite happened, which Mm. is suddenly I had tens and tens and tens of thousands of subscribers. Wow. And that was the moment, Shreen, when I was like, all these things I've tried to do throughout my life. This one thing, which actually, yeah, the the act of publishing it was hard. The act of writing it was not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was the easiest thing for me to sit and write this thing. I wrote it in a day wow, and published it and it just blew up. And I was like, something here around me and writing Mm -hmm. that I just haven't found anywhere else. And that set me on the path of like, I closed up my coaching program because I had the, I had to close the like page for people to join because I suddenly had all these people wow. trying to join the program and I was like I don't have the I don't even know how to hold space for this. Right. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. So I close it and I'm like I wrapped up the coaching program we were doing and then I was like I'm I am going to embark on a journey of being a writer and see where that takes me. That's 2017. So I quit my job 2014 
written a viral article by 2017. By 2018, we did the Mean White Supremacy Instagram challenge. And by 2020, I was suddenly a New York Times bestselling author. Holy crap. So I always, and I cry, like I will look back at that moment sitting in my office and saying, you need to intervene here and make a change because this isn't the life that you're supposed to be leading. And I so thank that version, like that future version of whatever, whatever that was, like some part of me from the future that was like, go this way instead. You, it will pay off from 2014 to 2020 in the space of six years. It's, it's incredible to me. I get goosebumps hearing your story. I'm, you know, and and I think it's just this real confirmation of, you couldn't have said in 2014, I'm going to write a best-selling New York times book. Right. And it's going to be about this topic. If someone had told that to you, you would have been like, that's just a bunch of BS. Right. It was like that. It it would be like saying now, like, oh, you're going to go to the moon. You know what I mean? Like, what? Yes. What? <laughs> yes. Like impossible. Yeah. That's not going to happen. Yeah. And that timeline is so short. It's it is short. very short. It's very short. But it's easy to see it as short from this vantage point. Yes. And not in 2011 and 2012 when I was like bouncing I- around from thing to thing trying to figure out what I was doing. Yeah. Holy crap. Okay. I mean, I, I feel like we can get into the me and white supremacy of it all, which totally took you to this global platform, but I know you've spoken about it on so many podcasts and, and like to the end right, of the world. Right. right. And so, okay. Go listen to all of Layla's podcasts, everything she's been interviewed on because me and white supremacy is a global phenomenon. Everyone should have a copy of it, not just have a copy of it, but read it and do the practices in the book. And mm. there is a children's uh, version out now too. Yes. It's, it's, it's life altering. It, it truly is. And it's, this is the thing, as I say, you're such a great communicator. You take this really big thing, scary mm. monster, quote unquote, and you yeah. communicate to us how so beautifully and simply how to dismantle it, how to work through it. And that's why I think yeah. you are such a beautiful writer, but also communicator really at the end of the day. Yeah. So people go read all about that. So here we are. Layla is now like, She's making money. She's doing appearances. She's like on a global platform. And yeah. then what happens, Leila? You're like, wait a second, maybe I want to pivot. Yeah, I'm like, Don't okay, that- so now it's time to pivot. Okay. Because Tell you're me. absolutely right. As you said at the beginning of the interview, I could just continue to do that yes. for the rest yes. of my life. Absolutely. And I could do every iteration of me and white supremacy that exists under the sun. Exactly. And I could turn me and white supremacy into a signature program. And I could license people to teach it. And I could, there's, and I, you know, I can make it into a documentary and I, there's so many things that I could do and it would feel so wrong for me because me and white supremacy is a work that I was called to do. It wasn't work that I chose to do. It wasn't Mm -hmm. a work that I mapped out for myself and was like, this is what you're, it truly was a divine calling. Mm -hmm. And I I truly feel inside it had a beginning date, a middle and an end. And for me to push past what I know was an end and say, no, I want to continue to do this, Mm. I think would have been out of integrity and I would have been really unhappy. There's so much that is complicated about doing work like this for a predominantly white audience 
having to explain all of this, making money from it. It just, something in my soul just, I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm really grateful for where, for the impact that me and white supremacy has had in the world. First and foremost, I'm grateful for what it's done in terms of my career. I also I don't get to talk about this so much, but doing this work externally also required me to do a lot of work for myself internally. Mm. And so I'm really grateful for the person I've been able to become Mm. because of this work as well. I'm an entirely different human being. Mm. Like every cell of me is different from when I started this. And so I tend to think about my life in stages like that. Like I looked back at almost 30, the last 10 years and was like, what have you done? What is, what has this been for? I am approaching 40 Mm. and I don't want to be doing me and white supremacy slash anti-racism work for the next 10 years of my life and beyond. Mm. Mm -hmm. There's something greater that I want to build that is not just about what we're fighting against, but is what we're fighting for. Yeah. I want to build something that is not rooted in whiteness, Mm -hmm. that is not rooted in having to constantly fight and prove and do that because that takes such a toll on you on so many different levels. And I want to build from a place of joy and a place of freedom, but I also am no longer where I was in my twenties, where I was like, this isn't it. I want to go do graphic design now. (laughs) It's more like, what is the next, what feels like the next progression Mm. from where you've been? If me and white supremacy got you started here and it's step A, what's step B? And the work that I was doing along me and white supremacy and really the philosophy that's grounding it is the work of becoming a good ancestor, right? So I was doing the book, but I was also running a podcast and we started a book club and I've always been doing that. That's like my core work. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, at the end of 2021, you know, we've been through a pandemic, but also I released the um, young readers edition of me and white supremacy. And I got to the end of that. And I was just like, I just feel complete with me and white supremacy. I have no regrets. I feel like I gave it my all. I feel like I answered the assignment. I feel like I did it. I did what I needed to do and I feel complete. It's, it's done. Mm -hmm. I don't need to, there's nothing more to do here. So then what is the next thing Mm -hmm. that I want to do? And not only that, I'm no longer in a place where internally I'm trying to make my career be the thing that proves Mm. that I deserve to be here. Ooh, wow. 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 Mm. What a beautiful realization and place to be. There's a whole different level of freedom where the choice that I get to make now is what do I really want to do next? Mm right? Because you don't have to prove anything to anybody. You don't have to prove it to yourself. You don't have to prove it to anybody. So what do you want to do next? And I didn't know, you know, I I was like, I I don't, I don't know. I felt really stuck. I felt really stagnant. I felt like we're doing this podcast, we're doing the book club, but it kind of feels like we're just a hamster on a hamster wheel with no direction. Yeah. And so we went away at the end of December on a family um, vacation and it this was December exactly of... what I needed. Yeah. So 2021. Okay. Uh-huh. It was exactly what I needed. I needed to step away from work. I yeah. needed to have time with family. I needed to be a human being outside of the work that I do. Yeah. yeah. And that's the beautiful space in which inspiration will come in. 
mm-hmm. and those um, you can listen in a different way. Yeah. And I also there's also a piece that I want to name here, which is around being an author and being published, and especially when you're writing an anti-racism book, which right now are doing really well, mm-hmm. but they have a moment and yeah. then they dip. Yeah, and then something awful happens again, and they come back up. Right, and then people forget, and it dips. And I said, for me, this is not sustainable. No, and it feels gross. Yeah, and so whatever I build cannot be based on this. Yeah, cannot be based on tragedy, trauma, whatever it is. Mm. You know, me and white supremacy serves its purpose. I have no regrets, but whatever I choose to build next cannot be built on this because yeah. it just won't feel right in my spirit. Yeah, so. I'm away and then I'm scrolling one day online and I see an advert for Rachel Rogers program. We should all be millionaires. Mm -hmm. And I follow Rachel. So I'm aware of her work. I'm aware of her book. Never had any desire to do the program until I'm away and I see it. And it wasn't so much the piece about the money, that Mm -hmm. piece. Yes. Okay. But it was more about, I want to build something great. Yeah. And I want to do it in a space where I can have support and direction. And I want it to be both abundant. And I also want it to be really informed by the values that I hold around inclusivity mm-hmm. and equity and all of those wonderful things. So I decide to sign up for this program. I tell my husband about it. I'm like, I think this is what I need. I need this. And he's like, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. And we had all of these discussions through that month. And I was sharing some of my dreams with him. And I said, look, I'm turning 40 in two years. Like, think about everything I've built in the last, what it would have been 2014 to 2020. That's six years. Mm. And I had no resources. I wasn't an international bestseller. I didn't have, you know, recognizability or anything. And that's what I did in six years. Imagine what I could do in two years Mm. with resources and with direction and with purpose. Right. Yeah. And so I said, the minute we get back home, I am building a business. And my goal is that by my 40th birthday, I will have built a million dollar business that is having immense positive impact in the world, right? A business that builds intergenerational wealth and abundance for me and my family on the values that I stand by. It's about hope. It's about joy. It's about change making. Everyone who interacts with the business, whether they're a team member or a customer, everyone is elevated Mm -hmm. to be a part of it. And it helps to change the world. And the minute we got back, Shireen, I literally hit the ground running. Wow. And like I said at the beginning, I recognized really quickly, this is a very big dream. Everything I've done up to date has just been me on my own steam. Mm -hmm. I have team members, but it's been me on my own steam. This next thing, I can't do it alone. Right. So my number one thing that I need to do now is hire the best people that I can find Mm -hmm. so that they can help me build it and we build it together. Mm. And that's the only way that it will work. And Mm. so that's what I did. Like I started off the year with three, me and two other team members, and we are now 10 and expand and continuing to expand. It's really wild. Wow. Wow. (laughs) It's really wild. And I cannot tell you, Shireen, anything we've created, our website, the way we've upgraded our Patreon content, the course that we're about to release, Wow. Everything. I'm so proud of it. Anytime I see an email that comes out from us, I'm like, I'm so excited to read this email, even though I know exactly what's in it. I love that. Right? <laughs> I love that. 
I'm so proud of it. And we're building something that is about helping people who maybe have come through me and white supremacy are on that journey of wanting to be change seekers. And they're feeling either insecure or unsure, or they're just feeling depleted and exhausted and they're needing direction and they want to do change-making work from a grounded place and a joyful place. This is what the work that we're doing is mm. about. Like this is the place to come and be nourished, yeah. but also to learn and to grow and to build community and to help change the world. So I feel like I'm finally doing the thing that back when I was 18, it was like, I know I don't want to be a lawyer, but I want to change the world. This is the business. Oh my gosh. I, I the way that you talk about it, Leila, like I can sense how connected you are to it, but like I'm like, oh yeah, this mm. is what Leila's gonna do for the next 10 whatever year. Like I can just feel this. You're just luxuriating in. Yes. You're in this. Yeah. And when I say this is it, what I have done is actually, I am building a business that allows me to expand and grow in every single way possible Mm. because the business is called become a good ancestor. And it allows me to explore every facet of what that means. And so I can, if 20 years from now, I'm like running a talk show or I have a documentary series and it's about this. You'll know it exactly links to exactly what we're talking about today. Yes. Oh, Layla. When I saw that pivot so clearly, especially on your Instagram, it made me so happy to see, because I think again, we talked about it ad nauseum on this podcast, but like you can get locked into a dream just because it's doing so well. And because you're good at something, you think, well, I should keep it up. And because people are telling you that they want to book you for this or that, or clients are coming to you. But if in your soul, I feel like there's hundreds of dreams within us that we're supposed to explore. And I was like, holy crap, this Layla has some real like ovaries. We're going to say it on the spot or balls or whatever you want to call it. Like, yeah, because that was such a pivot. And as you said, at the top of the podcast, some people were not cool with me doing this. And how did you navigate that, Leila? How did you navigate? Oh my gosh. It's so funny because I post this and I know what triggered so many people was naming money and putting Mm. a figure Mm. because they see, I think those, many of those people saw me as your work is about social justice. And so your work should have nothing to do with money. And if you want money, you're a, you're a hungry, evil capitalist who doesn't really care about people. You only care about yourself. Right. And so for me, you know, and I was saying about the internal work that me and white supremacy has taken me through. I had to unlearn that about myself as well. Mm -hmm. I had to unlearn this idea that doing work that was about equity and justice and equating that with meaning that I should be suffering and struggling was in fact not fulfilling my ancestor's dream was in fact fulfilling the oppressor's dream. Right. I think when we use the word capitalism, people are taking it just to mean money. I don't think it's about money. I think it's about how you treat the people that you work with and are in community with. And there's a difference between what I'm trying to build, which is I want everyone that I work with to be paid well, and I want them all to become wealthy. Yeah. And I want everyone who takes part in our work also to have all kinds of abundance at all levels. Mm. Right. And I truly believe we are fully currently our team to date is all women, predominantly women of color. Yeah. And I want each of them to be successful because I know that anytime we gather wealth, we spread it out. Yeah. We use it. 
We don't just hoard it. Yeah. Right. We don't just say, I, this is me, money, money, money. And yeah. I just want it for myself. Right. Like, no. no, I get what I need. And I, if I want to buy bougie things, I'll buy yes. bougie things, but there's a limit at some point, you know what I mean? At yeah. some point you're like, I don't know what to do with this. Mo-. And you know, we spread it out and we take care of each other. We take care of other people. So there's that part, but I think people were like, you're changing who I think you should be. Right. And if you're now just about money, then I don't want to be a part of that. And I find that so interesting because I don't think that you can really do me and white supremacy and believe that I believe about myself that I should not want abundance. Yes. Yes. And that black women and black people should not want abundance for themselves. Yeah. That's literally what we're fighting for is for everyone to have enough is for everyone to be thriving. Yeah. And so it was really funny because when I saw, I posted about it, I posted a lot of dreams. One was about like building the seven figure business. One was also about building a publishing company that publishes and centers and celebrates authors of color. You know, I was like, I want to uplift as many BIPOC good ancestors as possible. Like there were many other things yeah. that were in there as yeah. well. The, the seven figure business part was literally one part of it. Yeah. And I saw the next day that I'd lost followers, but because I, I just, I guess I don't understand numbers. So when I looked at the dip, I was like, oh, I've lost 300 followers. And people were like, oh, it's not a big deal and whatever, you know, and then it was like 500. And then the next day I was like, oh no, this wasn't 300 or 500. This was 3,000, 5,000. Oh my this was- God. <laughs> It was so much more than what I thought it had been. Wow. And so I was like, yeah. And people were like, well, you know, people unfollow for all sorts of reasons. I'm like, no, this literally happened the day after Mm -hmm. that. And I've never had it dip like that so drastically. But I was grateful also because I was like, yeah, we finished our journey together. Like I want to continue my journey with the people who truly understand what it is that's important to me and what I'm trying to build. And we finished our time together. Yeah. The thing about when you are doing the internal work of freeing yourself from all kinds of narratives of oppression is you become very unwilling to go back to a previous state of like internal subjugation. Yeah. Right. So I can't be smaller now than I was before. Mm. I just can't go back to smaller and wanting less for myself and wanting to go from thriving back to surviving and beneath surviving. Like I know what thriving feels like. And I just want more of that. That's more of what I'm heading towards. So yeah, it's, it, it feels really freeing. I finally feel in a place where having wrapped up me in white supremacy and then being in this limbo place of like, what's next? I finally feel like, oh, this is next. And it feels so right. And it's, and we're moving at the right pace. Mm. And we're making all the right decisions and we're being really intentional about how we're building it. And in this business, Shireen, like we've been surveying our community. We've been doing interviews to really understand what people want and need and what they're struggling with. Everyone that I've hired, copywriters, instructional designing expert with over 20 years of experience, chief marketing officer, operations manager, all of these people have at their core values around anti-racism, anti-oppression liberation. So anything we're doing, marketing, you know, building the course, whatever it is, I'm like, I stand behind it hundred percent. Wow. And that feels really, really good. Yeah. 
Oh, Layla, I'm just so excited to just witness this next iteration, this next chapter, this next part of the trilogy. I just, (laughs) it, you know, it's sometimes there's points in your life where you just feel like all the puzzle pieces are coming together and it just very much. And as you tell your story today, I can, it just, all of a sudden the puzzle is like coming together. So, yeah. And, you know, I keep telling my team as well. So we're in, um, we're at a point right now where, because when you make a pivot, you're, um, you're using a lot of energy to change direction right? and you're changing direction internally. You're bringing in people to help you change the direction. This audience that you've built up that is used to you talking about one thing is now having to relearn. Mm -hmm. Right. And then also there's a lot of money that goes into it and a lot of time, a lot of resources. And so I feel like, so I started this business in January. We're recording this now in June. Mm-hmm. It's been six months. I feel like it's been five years in one in six months, wow. but I also feel, I feel like time is flying, but I also have been through so much change in these last six months. And I have been over years in my life. And, um, it's really scary because everything I'm doing right now, I'm doing it for the first time. Wow. So this is my first time being the CEO, first time managing a team this big, mm-hmm. first time hiring people at this level, first time building out a course in this way. Right. And every step of the way, it's really scary. Even though I have so much trust in what we're building and the way that we're doing it. Someone said to me, one of my close friends said to me the other day, it feels like a very big trustful. Mm. And I said, that's exactly what it feels like. Cause you can put everything in. You just, you don't know if it's going to work, Yeah. but you, you have to keep the faith and you keep going. But one of the things that I tell myself and I've been telling my team is that we're in year one of a 10 year sprint right now. Mm. Yeah. And year one will always be the hardest. Yes. Yes. Right. But if in year one, you're still like six months in and you're like, I still believe in what we're doing. In fact, I believe in it even more. And I'm more and more excited. I may be tired. It may be a lot happening, but we keep going. That's how I know I'm, I'm on the right track. So it feels really good to be in that place. Oh, I love this Layla. I'm just so, so thrilled. So excited for you. Um, I've been finishing the podcast with three questions and okay. answer them. However, feels good to you on this day today. But the yeah. first question is what does courage mean to mm. you? How do you define courage? Oh, okay. I always, when I think about courage, I always think about my Angelou who said, you know, courage is, is the most important of all the virtues because mm-hmm. without courage, you really can't do anything else. That's a quote that I repeat to myself a lot. I think courage isn't about, it's not fearlessness. It's not about not having fear. It's actually about being afraid and leaning into it and doing the thing, right? Mm-hmm. And what I love about moments of courage, each time you lean into moments of courage and you do the thing that scares you and you see yourself come through the other side of it, every time you do that, you build trust in yourself. Yeah. And it's the kind of trust that nobody can take away from you because you did it yourself. Mm -hmm. And so when you build trust with yourself, it becomes this unbreakable thing inside that no matter what gets thrown at you, there's still a core part of you inside that knows, I know I can trust myself because I've been through hard things or I've put myself through hard things and I came out the other side. And so I know I can depend on myself and I know I can lean on myself 
and I know I can rely on myself. And so that's, that's what I think the gift of courage is, is what happens on the other side of it. Mm, I love that definition so much. The Mm. second question is, and you can define this however you want, what is your North star? This philosophy of becoming a good ancestor. And this is why it's not just a business or a brand to me. It's actually a way of life. It's how I measure how I'm living my life. And my model of what I mean when I say being a good ancestor, it's honoring those who've come before us and being of service to those who've come after we are gone. So whether I'm building a business or raising my children or being in community with a friend, I'm always thinking about, does this honor those who came before us? Me showing up in this way, is this being of honor to those who came before? And is this serving those who will come after we're gone? And if not, what needs to shift or to change here? That will always be my North Star. Yeah. And finally, what would you say to someone? What advice or wisdom or support would you give to someone who is thinking of making a big leap or a big change and they're just maybe a little tentative to do so? Yeah. I don't want to say like, yeah, just take the leap. It will work out. Because sometimes you take the leap and it doesn't. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. You take the leap and it's like, this was the wrong leap. (laughs) I ran in the wrong direction. Um, But I, I don't believe I, so I don't believe in the philosophy of like everything happens for a reason. I more believe that we can make meaning out of things in the way that we want to. Mm. So when I think of all of the different careers that I tried out, all those leaps that I took. Yeah. I said, I'm going to be a health coach now and I'm going to be a marketing manager now. And I took the leap and I tried it and it didn't work. The short-term picture is that it didn't work. The long-term picture is that each one of those things contributes to how I show up now. Yeah. So even if it doesn't work, you can make meaning out of it, whatever you want to. You get to write the story of what it means. Yeah. But when we don't take any leaps and we're, we're waiting for the perfect leap, like we're waiting for everything to line up just so, so that we know when we leap, we'll land, it will be a success. That is a sure setup for stagnancy, for yeah. disappointment, just years of your, like, this is why I measure everything through this philosophy of becoming a good ancestor. Time is passing. Mm-hmm. We're not living infinitely. And just like that, 10 years can pass and you'll yeah. say, why didn't I leap in year one? Yeah. Yeah. When it was scary. If I'd leaped in year one, when it was scary, I could look back in year 10 and say, thank God I took that leap. Yeah. Mm, just yeah. like you at the, at your desk. Kind of. Absolutely. Really, yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Love that. So yeah. That's beautiful, Leila. So where, where would you like people to find you? Tell us about your beautiful new offering. It's all going to be yeah. also show notes so they can come and find you there, but where, where do yeah. you want to direct people to? So I would like to direct people to becomeagoodancestor.com. There you will find a lot of things. You'll find our podcast and our book club, but you'll also find our very first course, which is a self-study course called Claim Your Space. And it is a self-study to help you uncover your next steps as a change maker. This is for anybody who is feeling like, I know I'm here to create change in some way. I don't necessarily need to become a New York Times bestselling author, but I want to find like, what is my right work and what is my right channel? Like, where am I supposed to be working? What work am I supposed to be doing? And also how do I address the fears that come with becoming a change maker? 
and the ways we can mess up and make mistakes and be afraid. And, you know, this is, this is what the self-study is about is helping you get clarity on those pieces of like, what is my right work? How do I want to do it? But also how do I work through the challenges of being a change maker? You know, we're living in a world right now where there's multiple things happening. There's wars, there's a pandemic, there's the environmental crisis, there's racism, and we're being pulled in every direction. And I think so many of us are feeling like I need to address all of these things. Right. You're only one person, right? And I think it's much more helpful to ourselves and to the collective if we have focus and we're able to do a focused thing in a sustainable way rather than trying to do all of those things and then burning out. Yeah. 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 So that's what we're trying to do is trying to like support healthy change makers, people who are doing work in a sustainable way. Um, we're excited to offer it. Oh my goodness. Everyone, please go check it out. I mean, Layla is such a, a beacon of light and wisdom. And it's like, you know, we started with you saying that your parents instilled this value of excellence. And I think that that is something that sometimes is missing within our world of offerings and things where it's like a thing. It's just a thing. It's a thing. It's just a thing. Right. It's a thing. And it's promising you things, but what does this thing do? And it's like, I cannot say like hearing you talk about this, I'm like, oh, excellent. Excellent. Yes. Course. And in this, I can, you've imbued it and it embodies everything you believe in. And so everyone check this out check out Leela's work. She is the real deal. And again, Leela, I am just so grateful and honored to have this conversation with you, but just grateful and honored to get to know you just a little bit better. So thank you. Thank you, Shireen. I love this conversation. I know I probably rambled on. I think this is the first time I got to like have an entire conversation about my, my whole journey. And it was such a joy. So thank you for for giving me the space to share this. I really appreciated it. And I love you and your work too. Oh, you bring you. such joy to the internet and such, um, and I know that's just what you share outwardly. I can imagine in the work that you do with your clients, it's so deep and it's so transformational. Um, oh. So thank you for being you too. I really appreciate you. Thank you so, so much, Leila. And you know what? Maybe uh, in a year or two, we'll do part two of this and we'll see yes. the insights and wisdom. I would love that. <laughs> I would love that. Thank you so much, Leila. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe or follow where you love listening most. And if you haven't yet, leave a review. You can do this on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Podchaser or Podcast Addict. Until next week, love.